Listen to the Tommy Schnermecker Show live weekdays 9 to noon on CJAD 800 and CJAD.com. Coming up on your gang of four, does Quebec have too many doctors? Should a school be charging $10 to Photoshop a school photo? And is there anything wrong with sending our endangered pit bulls to Calgary? But we begin with a sad anniversary, the 10th anniversary of the collapse of the Concord overpass. It left five people dead, including a pregnant woman. It left six people injured, and it left one child, Gabrielle Amel, who was all of eight years old at the time, an orphan, as both his parents were killed by the collapse of the overpass. Nine years ago, former Quebec Premier Pierre Marc Johnson released a report which laid the blame on the Quebec Transport Ministry, on the engineers, on the contractors, and on the concrete. Of course, if everyone is to blame, that means no one's to blame. If they're all to blame, they would have all shared the punishment. Former Premier Jean Charest, whose government had ignored an internal memo that warned of cracks back in 2004, didn't even apologize, but he did promise to act on recommendations in the report to ensure that such collapses don't happen in the future. Earlier this week, however, Philip Couillard finally did apologize on behalf of the government to the friends and relatives of the victims. The Quebec Transport Department was in charge. They botched it at the time. They botched it big time. They could have fired the engineers. They could have fired the unions. They could have demanded quality. They did nothing of the kind. I didn't trust them then. I don't trust them now. And has anybody learned their lesson? They have. They have indeed. They've learned that no one's accountable for gross negligence. They've learned that if the next overpass kills 10 people, they'll have another inquiry. Everyone will be blamed. No one will be punished and no one will be compensated. Do you think anything has changed a decade later? Do you feel any safer on the roads? You can call 514-790-0800, text 514-800 or get us on Facebook and Twitter at CJAD800. Joining me this morning on your gang of four... Around the table, CJ80 News anchor Trudy Mason, founder and editor of Ricochet.media and a documentary filmmaker and columnist for Le Devoir, Francine Perche. Trudy. Well, do I feel any safer? I think the answer is yes and no. I, I will feel more safe in about six or seven years when a lot of the infrastructure work on roads is wrapped up and we have uh, a different version in particular of the Turcotte Interchange and the Villemarie Expressway, which I have to take every day. I And I get out from under those overpasses in in the Turcotte as quickly as I can every single day because I'm worried about one of them coming down. I do think, though, that, that there is more awareness about, um, about this now, and I think procedures have changed. You know who I would not want to be? I would not want to be the Transport Quebec employee who was dispatched on that fateful day because people were saying pebble-sized chunks of the overpass were coming down, and he went and he kind of eyeballed, took a look, and... and let the traffic continue to flow. I don't think that would happen now. And in fact, I got caught behind a closure on the Met. I think it was last year when chunks started coming down off of an overpass on the West Island and the the highway was closed. It was nobody was getting through until the all clear. So I think procedures have changed, but we're dealing with a very badly aging infrastructure. So replacement is really the only uh, permanent solution in my mind. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with Trudy that it's sort of like the pit bull story. You have a death, obviously, that something kicks in, and and the government finally does something. But I too still cringe when I pass under those underpasses and those bridges because you can still see the holes and the cracks and everything else. Uh, so though we think they are cleaning up, uh, in fact, the report, the the Johnson report says that they inspected a hundred bridges and overpasses, and many of them were either closed or repaired. So I guess there's some a slighter measure of security there that we can feel good about. But what we can't feel good about, and you mentioned it, Tommy, is the Ministry of Transport itself. It's still uh, in in, ter- in terrible trouble. Uh, the the new minister is is again in 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 a conflict of interest. So the 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 question of the corruption, or if not corruption, at least. The bureaucratic mess that the the ministry, the mm. most important ministry in terms of 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 creating jobs and and spending money, is is still very much uh, up. You know, it's still very much a, a problem. Ethan, well, I'd like to think that procedures have been over. Uh, procedures have been improved, as Trudy said, and are not as as bad as they were. But I don't feel safe, and I think that the the broader issue here is that for several decades we had a prevalent philosophy of government, which was austerity and not spending, not spending on infrastructure. And we do have crumbling infrastructure because a lot of it is past the point at which it should have been repaired or it should have been replaced. And I think we're starting to see that change now. We saw in the last federal election, a lot of people recognized that the turning point in that campaign was when Trudeau came out and promised deficit spending for infrastructure because people recognize that you can't just carry on never spending any money on repairing or or updating or replacing infrastructure. Um, So I hope that 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 flawed philosophy that leads us to a situation where our infrastructure is falling apart is is going out and that we will again recognize that there's no point paying five dollars a year less in taxes if the the overpasses come down in your head and you can't find a doctor in a hospital and and your kids can't get a proper education well it might not just be money and spending money listen to this uh, text that relates very much to what we're talking about This listener says, I'm related to a family member who's been arrested due to construction corruption, and I guarantee you that road construction for years has always had a deliberate, inept construction material policy and non-adherence to guidelines so as to guarantee inadequacy and regular repairs, and even worse, the guarantee that the same underpar contractors get the repair contracts. It's a lucrative arrangement. The Charbonneau Commission changed nothing, just the players. Absolutely. And and the materials is a big issue. But even if we completely cleaned up corruption today, we still have a lot of things that were built with these shoddy materials. And that's where the money comes into it. We need to address the corruption so that we don't continue making the same mistakes. But there also needs to be investment in, in upgrading infrastructure that's in a lot of cases falling apart. Now, the other issue that, that came up, and when, when I read this, I thought, oh, this must be the Beaverton. It's a satirical thing, and it, and, it, and it was quite funny that the health minister said that Quebec had a surplus of doctors. Not only did we have 2,000 extra doctors, but we graduated too many, so they've got a plan to make it harder to become a doctor in Quebec and try to reduce the numbers of doctors working here. So I just got this visual of hundreds of doctors sitting around the clinics. Is nobody coming in here? I do I have to sit here all day waiting for somebody to show up uh nurse could you call me when if a sick person shows up that's not what i've seen uh, at all i've seen places that are supposed to stay open till five uh, close the door at three because there's one doctor there i've heard people tell me that at night at the emerge there may be one doctor one if it's one that's something often there are none two thousand too many doctors when you heard this number trudy 
What went through your mind? Well, the question was, what planet is Gaetan Barrett living on? Because this is not my world. I think I think this guy is nuts. And I think he wants to go back to what was probably the bad old days of medicine, where doctors were considered to be in debt to society for their subsidized education and were therefore slaves and expected to work long hours and those ridiculous hours in particular they have to work uh, when they're training. And that... Um, that if you're not working past your, you know, what is considered full time, well, you're just not doing enough. This is a question of lifestyle. He's talking efficiency. What he's talking about is forcing doctors to take on more patients. Is that what we want? Shorter appointments, a more distract, even more distracted doctor. Yeah, sure. That's yeah, that thanks. seven minutes is way too long as it is. Yeah, and I got to nip that in the bud. What this also is, and what Barrett has made clear, is a war on female doctors. Increasingly, med school applicants are female. Women want their maternity leaves. They want a work-life balance. He shouldn't be telling them to work the, more. There's... Mm, I'm the health minister. What's the problem with the health care system? Doctors, yeah, way too many. 2,000 too many. They're not working hard enough. That's what Gaetan Barrett said. Do we have too many doctors? Should we stop? training doctors. How do you feel about it, Francine? Well, there's three problems that sort of overlap. You know, the the old problem behind the mystery, why does Quebec have such a bad system compared to Ontario, for example? There's the fact that doctors are obliged to go to the, and spend time in the hospital, which the reform bill, the Barrett reform bill is trying to pull back, but it hasn't pulled back completely from that. And then there's the whole, what Trudy was mentioning, like there's a new generation of doctors, a lot of women doctors who are wanting, who it's a great, it's a great profession to call the shots, right? Um, I have a niece, in fact, who's a doctor and she's just gave birth to her fourth child. You know, you can, it's, right. it's a great, it's a great place if you're going to build a family because you can, you can sort of decide on how you're going to work and how you're going to do it. He's come down hard, I agree, on women doctors, but it's not just women doctors, it's the newer generation of doctors who has an, another way of wanting to, to, to work those, those hours. And finally, his system, his reform bill of, form, of, of signing up, forcing doctors to sign up more patients is not working because it's totally inefficient. So we've got, you know, we haven't solved the, the old problem and we have the new problems adding in. We have to get rid of Barrette. I think that's the only solution. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, this is nonsense. It's laughable. Um, it it makes me wonder if we're living in 1984 here. War is peace. Uh, this type of thing. It's just it it it's it defies everyone's common sense. Everyone who's ever interacted with the healthcare system in this province knows that it's it's nonsense. But. Even if it were true, we had a catastrophic shortage of doctors in 2011 and a very serious shortage of doctors in 2014. And even even assuming for a second that this is true, which it's absolutely not, but assuming that it was, uh, have we learned nothing from what Lucien Bouchard did with, with nurses, cutting the number of school spaces for nurses, and then there was a shortage of nurses, and then we had to spend all this money training them up? Like, we should have learned something in this province that when we decide we have too many medical staff and we cut the training, we end up with a critical shortage down the road. Um you know, I, I, I agree. I just, I think Barrett has to go, what's happening here? What this announcement is about, it's 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 pure propaganda. It's nonsense. It's about him defining the goalposts, defining how this stuff is measured, however he wants it to be, so that it makes him look good. When to all of us sitting out here looking at the news stories week after week, he's the worst health minister I've ever seen. So yeah, Barrett has to go, and this is nonsense. And, and imagine the reaction from the 
the doctors who are going to be forced to see many, many more patients. Uh, they're going to be happy with that. They're going to really welcome that. The morale is going to go as well. And don't forget, there is a shortage of doctors. They'll be hired. I mean, if they, they can speak English, they'll be hired in the States. They'll be hired in the rest of Canada. They'll find other work. It's an insane thing to do. You just can't keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And and he he does well. He couldn't care. The reason he does this is he couldn't care less. As I've said many times, he couldn't care less about about the patients. And and let's not forget as well the massive cuts to healthcare that this government has made. So they're they're sort of throwing us peanuts to try and 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 make us happy with the minister. But in reality, they've cut billions of dollars from the healthcare system. They've and now they're saying, oh, we're going to get rid of the healthcare fee. Oh, you know, look, we have enough doctors. They're trying to put a rosy spin on it. But the medical medical system is massively underfunded. It's having serious impacts on patient care. And that is the responsibility of the minister. He has to take accountability for that. And the fact that this is the minister that not so long ago was pushing for more doctors and especially pushing for better paid doctors. And now we have doctors that are making outrageous amounts of money in a situation where we don't have enough, um, where healthcare and education is being is being uh, savagely cut. It, it's totally ridiculous. Um, the system is sick. <laughs> the, the only, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, have I ever met a doctor who complained about being underemployed? Yeah. I can't find <laughs> enough patients I mean, to make my, yeah, my practice. nothing to do all day. The only complaints we ever hear along those lines are from surgeons. Right. And what they say is, I'm ready to work. I can't get hospital operating room time because they throttle the work of surgeons at that level. And you only get a certain number of, of hours of access every week. So, so that, that's breathtaking because what you have is a surgeon who's had all this training that we paid for, who wants to operate. And you have a patient who really needs the operation, who's on a waiting list and can't come in for a year and a half and has to live there in pain. And the health department thinks that this is fine. That this arrangement, he's sitting there in agony waiting for the surgeon. The surgeon wants to operate and make sure these two don't get together. That's what the health ministry is doing, and that's what's totally unacceptable. We'll get to what the ombudsman had to say about the cuts to health care. Did they, in fact, have any impact? We'll get to that in a moment. But first, some listener reaction over to Jay Farrar and Matt Gite. Thanks, Tommy. On the topic of the uh, idea of having too many doctors in Quebec, Alan texted in saying, I don't know whether we have too many doctors or not, but can someone tell me why do Quebec doctors see fewer patients per day than any other province? Maybe that's part of the problem. Tyler says the Medical Association deliberately keeps the amount of doctors low in order to keep demand high and their salaries even higher. Any student that meets the minimum requirements should be trained as a doctor. Within 10 years, we'd have an abundance of doctors with cheaper costs to us. Uh, and this listener says, I'm appalled when I hear that we have too many doctors. I suffer from a back injury that has changed my way of life. And this morning, only just now seeing a back specialist for the first time. My doctor faxed over my referral January 6th at the start of this year. I received a call yesterday saying they had a cancellation and I could finally be seen today at 930. Tommy, over on CJAD's Facebook page, Chris says, I suspect that he may be right. The problem is not the quantity of doctors. It is the distribution and accessibility. If you have five doctors attached to a clinic that only has one on duty per day, then you basically only have one doctor available. Lorraine says, great way to help people find a doctor. Put a ceiling on the number of doctors entering the system. Perhaps the first doctor that should be cut is our current <laughs> Minister of Health. You're listening to the Tommy Schnurmacher Show on CJAD. Those health care cuts, have they any impact on you at all? We'll get to that in a moment. 
With me on your gang of four, CJ80 News anchor, Trudy Mason, founder and editor of Ricochet.media, Ethan Cox, and documentary filmmaker, Carlos Le Devoir, Francine Pelletier. Uh, Quebec's ombudsman has come to a shocking discovery. She notes that our cuts to health care are having a major impact on the lives of vulnerable people in the province. And I want to ask you what impact you've noticed from these health care cuts. And uh, if you want a sample of what these cuts are all about, I just got uh, a number of texts of this text uh, saying, Tommy, since moving here from Quebec, I see my doctor frequently without waiting time in a meeting and I get an immediate diagnosis. When I lived in Quebec, it would take anywhere between eight months to a year to see my GP for 15 minutes. And another text, you're listening to this, and we find this, we find this acceptable. I was at a StatCare clinic Saturday. It closes at 6, but they turn patients away at 12.45. They say they're full and can't take any more patients. So not only do we not have the services, they blatantly lie to us, and they have signs that say open till 6, which is in fact not true. It's open till 12.45. And, but, but that looks good. Oh, it's open all day. And in fact, it isn't. So, of course, the cuts have had an impact absolutely everywhere. Trudy? Yeah, I've been turned away from walk-in clinics. I've absolutely given up trying to find a GP on the West Island. I've waited months for specialist appointments, uh, including over a year to see a dermatologist. I was in the emergency room at the Lakeshore earlier this week. And while I was on a stretcher, I was triaged within about four minutes and I was on a stretcher 60 seconds after triage. But we were stacked like cordwood in that emergency room. And uh, while while the treatment seemed to be efficient and and I was, you know, I got an IV within a matter of an hour and a half and diagnostic test orders and blood taken. And it seemed to be very efficient, but there was no privacy. There was there there was no personal attention. It was just hustle you through the process as fast as possible. And a lot of those Patients were very, very tough cases, disoriented seniors, for example, people crying out in pain. It was, and and again, no privacy because we were, I ended up spending the night hooked up to an IV in what I call uh, the corridor of the damned, which is this back corridor where there's just little, little curtains around the stretchers. And also you say people crying out in pain, like, oh, well, yeah, that's just what they do they're in pain but how many people were running over to see what's the matter how can i help you you know the staff i i cannot say enough about how good the staff were but again this is not personalized care this is let's deal with you let's take your blood as soon as possible and kind of sweep on next sweep on next because they're run off their feet I think it's time to consider uh, doing like the, the French. The French have one of the best med- uh, Medicare systems and the doctors are salaried. You know, you have to remember that when Medicare came into being, the doctors themselves were against it. And when they wanted to bring in the CLSCs, the doctors vetoed that too. There is this, the, we have a problem with our health minister, but we also have a problem with the individualistic kind of attitude of doctors who, who want to decide the shots and how they're going to, to work. Um, but also in terms of... Well, wait a second. What happens in France? How is it different in France? Well, the, the doctors are, are salaried, so they, 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 they come in, they have a job, they, they have to be there, and they get, the, you know, and if you, fo- the doctors still do home, home care, they come to your house, um, but it, it is not, you know, you're, you're like a state employee as opposed to an all-important, all all-powerful uh, well, over Medical here, they doctor. also, they're paid by the government. 
Yeah, but they're 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 allowed to call the shots in terms of how they work, and that's, oh, the doctors in France are no, not. No, no, they're not. They, they 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 there is a system that they this is how you work. But and, there's also a lot of private doctors. There's in France. a when lot they, of private. When they go to the house, they get paid to go to the house. Yeah, but I think there's a public system that does that covers that. Yeah, what she's talking about was in Sicko, the Michael Moore film. It's actually public doctors on salary that go to people's houses. And, you know, imagine that you have to show up at nine and leave at five. I, I don't think it's entirely unreasonable. But, um, of course, the, these health cuts are having a major impact on the lives of vulnerable people in the province. I think we've seen a number of anecdotal stories that show that. And this, this ombudsman coming out and saying this, I think, underlines that. And it, it, it underlines as well, I think, uh, a disconnect in our politics. I mean, who wants this? Billions of dollars cut from the healthcare system. These consequences, who out there voted for that when they voted for the Liberals? Did, did anybody go, I want you to gut our healthcare system and make it so that, you know, any time that a family member or a loved one of mine goes into a hospital, they're stuck on a gurney in a hallway for, for days, which is what I hear from everyone. Um, it, it's, it's, again, it's the, it's the austerity agenda of the provincial liberals of Philippe Criard. And I really believe that this agenda is completely out of step with Quebecers. I don't think we want a billion dollars cut from education. I don't think we want almost 2 billion cut from healthcare. I think we want properly funded healthcare and education services. And because the only opposition is the PQ, which is just in the process of imploding, um, we just keep getting stuck with the liberals as a default option, even though we don't want what they're selling. And what's particularly uh, annoying, even if you were to agree with the austerity agenda, for them to say that it's not going to have an impact, when they say that, they they know they're lying. It didn't take the ombudsman you know, to figure this out afterwards, that you can't just hack away at billions and billions of dollars and, and it'll be just as good as it was before, if not better. They should say, well, you, we have to cut this money for this reason, and as a result, you're going to have a much lower standard health care and lower standard Education, but they don't want to say that. They want to lie to you because I guess we want to hear the lie that oh, it'll be just the same. And and to add insult to injury, the report says that it hasn't hurt the administration. You know, right. the bureaucracy is intact. Yes, yes. But the person, there's some terrible stories. The woman that has uh, multiple sclerosis that had to sleep in her wheelchair because she decided she would rather have someone help her eat than have her change uh, from the wheelchair to the bed. And, and there are tons of stories like that, that of course it's having an impact. I should not be getting texts like this. This says, my family doctor gave me a referral to a doctor for a bone density scan. They gave me an appointment for August of 2018. And this is considered like, okay, two years from now. And let's remember Barrett's rhetoric a year or two ago when he was introducing these cuts, he explained it as trimming the fat and said this is all about cutting waste and inefficiency in the administration. Right. But lo and behold, it has nothing to do with in, with administration. It has to do with cutting frontline patient care. And of course he lied to us because we would never have accepted to have billions of dollars cut from frontline patient care. No one wants that. Everyone who was who was online to get four hours a week were just automatically cut. That wasn't serious enough. Like who who knows who needed those four hours a week? I mean, it's 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 scandalous. And also, I mean, there's a difference. There's some people who don't need any hours a week, right? And then there's some who need four. There's a real difference between these two kinds of people. And by the way, the other thing that you get quite often from CLSCs, and they'll tell this directly to the relatives of the patient. Yes, you're right. You absolutely are entitled to 16 hours a week. 
but we just can't provide it. Mm-hmm. So, the, so now, yes, you'll get a piece of paper that says, "Oh, I've got it. I, I'm entitled to 16 hours," but you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. So the p- paper is worth nothing. Now, this is uh, good news. An Alberta dog rescue organization is ready to take Montreal's unwanted pit bulls in response to the ban. Alberta has no restrictions on dog breeds, so organizations there are hoping to save pit bulls from being put down here. Excellent idea. Uh, I think I commend them for how much they love animals. Uh, and as many pit bulls as we can send from Quebec, from Montreal to Alberta, I think it's a win-win situation. They get to feel that they're doing the right thing and there's less risk here for everybody here. Trudy, isn't this not a perfect idea? Well, I'm tempted to say yes, but I kind of feel sorry for everyone living around those foster families in Alberta. And now uh, they're they're talking about taking some of the animals to, to Nova Scotia as well. Listen, if you want to spend your private money to fly these dogs uh, out west it's your money to spend if you're one of the people who wants to foster a pit bull from montreal i hope you keep your family and all your neighbors safe you know the the agency that's setting up the adoptions in alberta says it's screening the applicants to make sure that they have experience with larger dogs for example good on them i hope they're taking every possible precaution uh, I think the more we talk about this story, the more it's obvious that I think Ethan made the point uh, some time back that, you know, the Mercader was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction here. I mean, someone died. It's terrible. Something has to be done. But it's obvious that, you know, pit bulls cannot, there isn't just a pit bull race. There's all kinds of mixed pit bulls and and. and and in fact, is it the race that makes the the dog dangerous? But, but we're or not is getting it... into the, the argument of, of the pit bull yes or no argument. Specifically to send them over there. There are pit bull breeders who sell pit bulls. They know what breed they are. That's what they sell them as, as pit bulls. We're talking about pit bulls or mixes or any the kind that, that they're worried about. In Nova Scotia, they're ready to take them. In Alberta, they're ready to take them. I'm delighted. I'm grateful to them. I think it's excellent. You think the we should doctors, get rid of all the dog, pit bulls? No, no. The law says that if you have a pit bull, you get to keep your pit bull. These are the ones that would have been euthanized. Instead of taking that, they'll be adopted by these loving, caring, giving families in Nova Scotia and Alberta. My hat's off to them. It's a good news for the SPCA, who doesn't have to euthanize the dogs, I agree. But does it really solve our problem? I'm not sure. With me on your gang of four, CJ80 News anchor Trudy Mason, founder and editor of Ricochet.media, Ethan Cox, and documentary filmmaker and columnist for Le Devoir, Francine Peltier, uh, sending the dogs, uh, the unwanted uh, pit bulls, the ones who want to keep them, the ones who have them now. Of course, the law says they can keep them. The unwanted ones, sending them to Alberta, and now Trudy tells me Nova Scotia. Anything wrong with this, Ethan? Well, um, no. I I think this is similar to when, for instance, uh, dogs were shipped out of Katrina to people all over the continent to try and save them. I think any time there's a threat to animals, there will be a certain group of people that are willing to put their money on on the line and and move them out. And I think I commend that. Um, I hate the idea of killing dogs. I hate the idea of kill shelters. I I, I don't blame the SPCA for it. I understand the necessity, but I I hate the idea that we do kill dogs. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. So I think this is fine, and I think, again, on the issue of uh, of why it is that we're in this situation, I'm a little on the fence. I'm willing to accept that, 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 that there are issues that need to be addressed, but this policy by Denis Coderre, as separate from the recommendations at the provincial level, which I think made a lot more sense, this is just a policy written on the back of a cocktail napkin and implemented before it can be thought about or, or, or considered. And again, it's just... it's 
just this mayor, man. His his policy making is the pits. A company looking at school photos for some Quebec high school students uh, dealing with angry parents who say they send a very bad message to students. They offer digital retouching on the order form. The retouching, which costs 10 bucks, can be used for things like hair, the forehead, cheeks, nose quite not right, anything else. The parents say this offer to Photoshop out flaws sends a dangerous message. And company says we only do minor retouches. Ten bucks for photoshopping these school photos, Trudy. Anything wrong with that? Uh, this is a parental decision, um, and and I think that what uh, people have to understand is that a lot of the time it's not the kid who's so upset about the the photo; it's the parents because the photo goes up in a frame, you know, on the piano, and and they want something that that is perfect. And so I, I you know, this is an opportunity in my view, for a, a discussion within the family about appearance, the importance of appearance. Uh, I read one case about how a mother was absolutely devastated that her high school age son, and it was his last year in high school, shaved his head for some football team initiation uh, a couple of days before the school photos was taken, and she did not want him with a shaved head in his graduation photo, and so she paid to have the hair added back in. It's not just you know the the vanity of it. It's not just uh, you know senseless seeking of perfection. Time to talk to the kids about this. Generally, it's the parents who pay for the photos anyway. Well, you know, my heart goes out to it's so hard to be a teenager, you know, yeah. those pimples and 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 everything. You hate yourself. So it it kind of depends what what we're talking about here. On the other hand, the idea that, you know, especially girls all want to look a certain way and 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 be a certain way, there is such pressure especially on on women, especially on young girls to conform to this image that if that's if that's what that's doing, then I say no. If it's just really a little touch-up here that really doesn't make a big difference, I would say yes. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong objection to it, but in general, I tend to dislike the overuse of Photoshop. Like, if it has to be ubiquitous in magazines and what have you, so be it. But do all of our personal photos that we show our friends or post on Facebook have to be Photoshopped, have to be retouched? Is it such a, a terrible thing if there's a blemish or a pimple or what have you? And I, I feel like this is sort of inculcating people very young with that sort of thought of like, oh, well, let's just retouch everything until the, the photo has, has no resemblance to the person. So... You know, I, I, I don't think there's a need to be offering this as it is. I think I think it's true that parents care a lot more. I certainly remember my mother caring a lot more than I ever did about my uh, my graduation photos. But the other thing is, I think that when these kids are, are going to be looking at these photos is in like 10 years. And I think what they're going to want to see is what they actually looked like. Then. <laughs> Not the most perfect version of that, but actually to remember what they looked like at that time. So I, I think it's I think they're doing themselves a disservice in the long run. Saudi Arabian officials uh, want us to know that uh, that 15 billion dollars arms deal that we have with them it's a goodwill gesture it's a sign of the close friendship that our two countries have especially now since the, the saudis are a little miffed at the fact that they might be sued uh in in the u.s so the saudi arms deal you see it trudy as an act of friendship i i don't see it as an act of friendship i see it as craven business yeah, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You know, they're they're. This is insulting to Canada, in my view. This kind of pat on the head, and yeah. well, you know, we did it because we want closer, closer ties to you. Closer, thanks, but I, I don't think we need closer ties, in my view. Saudi Arabia is responsible for 
uh, for all almost or much of the fundamentalism that has gone on throughout the Muslim world over the last 50 years. They are behind it. And in fact, if you go in, in some of the mosques here in Montreal and you look at the literature, you'll see that it comes from Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is playing a very dangerous game. At the one hand, it's pretending to be our ally in terms of, uh, you know, fighting ISIS. But there are they are the ones that have planted the seeds of of the very thing that is is uh, is is making us very scared at this point in terms of of, of the Islamic fundamentalism. All of that is true, and and I, I completely agree. But I will stick up for Saudi Arabia a little bit here, just to say that. What else would you expect from them? Of course they would like us to sell them these weapons. I mean, like, from their perspective, it's a no-brainer. Who I blame here is not Saudi Arabia, but our government. Why is our government asleep at the switch? Why did Stéphane Dion first approve this deal, approve those expert permits, and then lie to the Canadian people about it? Um, why do we have a liberal government that in the election campaign said this was an outrageous deal that they would cancel, and then as soon as they're in government went, actually, no problem. So the blame that I lay is on the liberal government is on Stefan Dion and Justin Trudeau. I think Saudi Arabia's actions are perfectly understandable, if, if as much as we might disagree with them. Oh, absolutely. And uh, they, the reason you asked, why did the liberals do it? That they did it because they wanted the, the money. The conservatives, conservatives wanted to do it because they wanted the money. The liberals wanted to do it for the exact same reason. Listener uh, reaction over to Mr. Jay Farrar and Matt Gitte. Thanks, Tommy. On the topic of the uh, school offering digital retouching for these uh, school photos, Samantha texted in to say my son's school offers this on his school photos, and I've never even questioned it till today. Maybe if I had a daughter who actually cared about her school photos instead of a son who doesn't even look at them, I would have actually seen the problem sooner. Uh, Janine says my daughter won't even let me put her school photo on the fridge or in a frame if she sees a single flaw with it, and she always sees at least one flaw with it. If she had this option, I know she would want to have this done, but I would hate it. I want her school photo to reflect what she really looks like rather than what she'd look like in Photoshop. Tommy over on Facebook, Barbara says, This is silly. School photos are a moment in time. Plus, kids are supposed to look goofy. Sue says... <laughs> Companies have been doing this for years for grad photos, etc. Time to seriously get over it and move on. Get it done or don't. Gwen says, my son once got a school picture taken after a fall and had carpet burn marks on his face. His father wanted to have retakes done. I didn't. It was a memory we still laugh about today. You're listening to the Tommy Schneermacher Show on CJAD. Coming up, the political panel with Milan Freeman for the NDP, Jonathan Goldblum for the Liberals, Jeff Norquay for the Conservatives. Stay with us. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800, CJAD.com.